The Blue Sky Man of the Lady Bower Reservoir, written by Patrick Bailey, performed by Henry Bailey. Is your hands. Lord, look at how rough they are. Coarse. Dry. Your skin is made of granite. Here you are, cleaning up after me. Helping me rest, you take care of me. You take care of me very well. I appreciate you. You are brave. You are kind. You are hopeful. But you are always running, never resting. You need to rest. Make the time. The time belongs to you, after all. You have so much. You're only at the beginning. If you were to count how many memories you have, how many do you think you could count? You must have thousands. How many do you think I have? The mind fails you after a while, after some time. It becomes tired, it becomes restless, hard and heavy. A stone you have to carry around. I suppose you have to rush off and save the world. I want to tell, tell you a story. The world can wait. The sky will wait for you. When I was your age, I was a writer. I would sit by rivers, lakes, glossy streams, and spill my heart out in, onto hungry pages. The sun would dance and sing on the water. I'd close my eyes and the dancing light would glow in the empty caves of my mind. I starved for life. I wrestled with life. He was my muse and my mistress, my enemy and my companion, my contender and my ally. I wanted to tear life apart and put it back together again. And it needed to know why. I traveled for a long time, from place to place, drifting, floating, wandering, hoping, hoping I would find out why I suffered, why I longed and why I lost it, aching with rage and passion. It was a terribly, it was a wonderfully terrible life. It was a lot of pain. I was in a lot of pain. I've always held on to mine. It gave me a reason to, to fight, but I can fight no longer. There was this man I encountered once throughout my travels. He was an elderly gentleman, but he was strong and ripe with energy. We crossed paths at the Monsell Trail. I paid him no attention at first, but a young man who looked how I looked now was an invitation to inquiry. He spoke for a time about life, about our families, our loved ones, ones we see no longer. He paused, gave me a polite smile and said nothing. What's your plan for the rest of the week? He asked. I want to go to the Lady Bower Reservoir at some point, I, I replied. When I told him that he was enthralled, he told me it was his favorite place, 
and he offered to take me there so we could explore together. Now, if a man my age came to you and said, let me take you into the forest, exactly, terror would be inevitable. But I said nothing. I had nothing. We met a couple of days later. He was wearing shorts, holding a cup of coffee, stood outside the petrol station. How did he have the energy? He drove us to the of the forest and I rented a bicycle. I was not, and still I'm not, very skilled cyclist. However, in certain moments throughout life, you will find yourself endowed with the momentary aptitude to complete an endeavor. The ability to cycle was one such endowment. We cycled uphill. I did my utmost to feign composure as my breath became labored and my forehead began to thicken and heat with sweat. He was gliding effortly, effortlessly up the rocky trail. He had come here many, many times before. At one juncture, we were sky cycling parallel in silence. It was silence of consent. We were both at peace with the absence of voice. One eye contact, the moment was enough. The reservoirs were utterly majestic. There were several of them. Derwent Reservoir was one called, all sectioned up by dams which were all fit for gardening fortresses, or garden fortresses. A case of rich, earthy forests and circling pools of the finest glass. The trees stood together militantly, descending in height, hiding the hills that would undulate beyond. The trees were amazed at their reflection in the lake, swooning at the sight of their own beauty. In awe of themselves, I was in awe of them. And that sky, this endless expanse, colored in joy, keeping us safe. We came to a gate, and a large, a large vehicle approached us. And behind it, hundreds and hundreds of sheep followed through, screaming, yelping, raising each other. A chunk of sheep plodded along. And he pointed at it saying, that one looks pregnant. That is a lot of sheep, I blurted. Yeah, he replied. A few sheep, become, a few sheep be began to hop slowly down towards us. These are the lazy ones, I sneered. After a moment, he gently remarked, see, the ones that are hopping, if they spend a lot of time in the wet, they get rot foot. A bit like the men in the trenches in the First World, First World War. Oh, coal miners. I remember one sheep coming to a halt, bellowing back to the sheep lagging behind, as if to say, hurry up. Ironically, it blocked the pathway and caused them to bundle up like traffic. <clears throat> they are very well behaved, I exclaimed, as a few sheep walked leisurely sauntering in the crisp Thursday afternoon. 
the little lambs and the mothers, the families taking their time, no rush. After what must have been about six minutes of witnessing the sheep brigade, a cloud, stubborn and angry, intruded upon the blue. Let's be off the night, he muttered, his words prickly with anxiety. We cycled on further at war with the cloud that was attempting to consume the forest. We came to a downward slope and allowed ourselves to, pl to plummet down the trail, letting the speed and the wind do all the work. The speed and the wind cursed us, however. As we rode across the bridge, we had to battle through swarms of flying insects that would bite us. He had a funny name for them. Squishings, maybe. I hate these, he moaned. It was not very long after, out until I retorted, I hate these things, with equal verve. After engaging with the squishings, the stubborn cloud retreated, releasing the blue sky from captivity. I can't get enough of this place. I was delighted when you mentioned, mentioned it. It cheered. The words warmed with relief. It became necessary to stop for a moment so we could eat. We sat down and nibbled on some fruit and sandwiches, and he spoke about his younger days. He was an activist, radical, fearless, foolish. His words, not mine. His closest friends had died at the hands of police. He was no long, no stranger to a courtroom. Everyone was angry, and we were angry about how angry we were, which made us even angrier. He chuckled, his mouth rammed with cheese, pickle, and brown bread. I remember vividly a speck of mush launching off out of his mouth as he recounted his days of youth with Meshiva's glee. We stood up and gazed at his palace, at this palace. This is so beautiful, I shouted, refusing to contain my amazement any longer. You remind me of my son. He lives in South Africa now. Manages the football team there. I think you two will get along. I think you'd get along with all of them. They're everywhere across the world. That somber moment of recollection was torn apart by a violent rumble in the distance. Ah, he sighed. His head slowly rose towards the noise. He pointed towards the sky and said, Look, war and peace. A fully armed helicopter came searing across the landscape. It flew so closely above us, I could have thrown a rock at it. That one's got missiles on it, he, he determined. As it flew past us, he looked at me blankly and said, There are some military training grounds nearby. Where else, he said, with resignation, but not defeat. We both took a deep breath. Deep, deep breath got back onto our bikes and pressed forward. We had been cycling for hours at this point. The sun's gaze was becoming weary. The sky was dimming. 
were making some jokes about friends who had gone their separate ways. We used to know a well-known, renowned painter, who according to him couldn't paint for toffee. He tried though, he told me genuinely. That's all he cared about, trying. Reached a rocket lakeside. I have seen it lower than this, but not much, he shared. I could see that the water was safe to walk towards. Where steps had taken, where steps taken would eventually be washed away. Memories swept upstream, only for them to become vapor once more. I stumbled whilst he stood by his bike, watching the boundless blue unfold into na true navy across the seas. I reached the water and crouched down to pick up a stone. Just an ordinary insignificant, yet I held on to it for dear life. I was picking up. It was. It was a piece of my heart which the world had stolen from me. After all those years of searching for peace, searching for a, ch a chance to be, just be, it was being, I was, dream I was being driven by shame, guilt, contempt, because I always felt that. I could have saved her. That stone nestled in the heart of the late Bowel Reservoir. That stone is the closest thing I've found to peace in all these years. As I held it, there was no wind, no sound of the cold stream. The birds were motionless, and the trees stood still in silent mourning. The sky waited for me to breathe, but it was a breath I never took. I put the stone in my pocket, and I felt a streak of time shock my spine. The ducks on the water began to squabble, dipping their heads in the water to refresh themselves. Once I turned around, he was still there, not beckoning me or rushing me to return. He simply stood still. And after a breath, I never took I returned, waited for a moment. I've held on to this, all these years I've held on. There is so much light in my heart, but all these years of holding on have made my heart so unhappy. Tormented by the gift of light that it refuses to receive. As he dropped me off at the train station, he smiled at me fondly, but again, he was wordless. I gave him my deepest, sincerest regards. When I got out of the when I got out of the car, I kept searching, searching for parts of me that I have lost. I have wanted to live for so long. Take this. Let go of this for me. This peace we might search for is nowhere to be found. Look closely. Here, see? It's engraved in the palms of our hands.